This podcast is powered by the leading at the top of your game development experience. If you would like to work with Karen and the shockingly different leadership team to up-level the leadership execution acumen within your organization, visit developingyourgame.com to find out more. All these things link back to inequities and lack of access or just straight out racism, right? So we have a extreme vested interest to want better for our communities, but I don't think we're aware enough. There's a lack of education and understanding that the people who are affected the most are the people who don't usually have a voice at the table. Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey there, everybody. I have a question for you. Did you know that corporate investments in sustainability efforts has more than doubled as a percentage of company revenues over the past five years? I didn't realize that till I saw a recent research report on it. And it hit me that with this type of focus, you know, where corporations and organizations and governments are putting their money where their mouth is, it's really important that you understand your accountability in this whole sustainability conversation. And it's also going to be crucial to really understand how you can best help lead sustainability activities in your work environment and lead them in a courageous but very impactful way. So to help be our guide on today's show, we are fortunate to have Bridget McAdoo, who's a VP and Global Sustainability Officer at the Genesis Corporation, which is a large tech company that helps organizations provide superior customer service through their cloud, digital, and AI offerings. Bridget has championed corporate sustainability efforts at previous companies, such as the World Wildlife Fund and Yum Brands. So I do encourage you to listen as Bridget shares with us what corporate sustainability really is, what it's not, and why CEOs have reprioritized sustainability efforts in recent years. Also, you don't want to miss Bridget's addition to our leadership execution playbook, nor my brief segment called Karen's Take, where I share tips on how to use the insights from today's show to further sharpen your leadership acumen. And now, enjoy the episode. Well, hello, Bridget. Thank you so much for joining the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. We're super excited to have you as a guest today. I am honored, as you know. I love love everything that um, you do with your work, so I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you. Well, one of the reasons why I had um, asked if you would be a guest on this podcast is because you are doing and have done for many years some fantastic work in the area of uh, corporate sustainability and helping to guide organizations in this area. But it's such a little known area to the layperson. Um, I've had an opportunity to follow you and talk with you about it. But the amazing work that professionals like you do is extremely impactful across the globe. And so I thought, wow, what a great opportunity 
to have um, an executive such as yourself come and raise the awareness of the efforts of corporate sustainability and help our listeners better understand what it is and just share why you became so passionate about it. I like to refer to sustainability as it, it's kind of the pulse of a corporation, right? Doing work behind the scenes, it's making sure that you are staying viable and resilient, um, that you can, you know, that you're thinking about everything from womb to tomb, that it's a holistic 50,000 foot view of how do you actually show up. And for me, as I always tell our teams, it's our license to operate because, you know, I think at times there's, you can feel entitled to certain things in corporate America and you don't have to actually do some of those things. But regardless of how you show up in society, sustainability is something every single person does, whether you're corporate, nonprofit, entrepreneurship, it's how you sow back and provide opportunities into the markets where you live, work, and serve is where sustainability shows up. So, you know, I like to think of my colleagues as those unsung heroes that's doing the work in the background. You don't need accolades. You don't need the recognition, but it's so important. I fell in love with this space about a good 10, 12 years ago. And what are some of the areas of focus? Can we dig down just one level deeper? What are some of the areas of focus in sustainability? What did corporations really look and plan for? It really depends on the company. It, it The good thing about sustainability is that the intent of the work is to look at that kind of that cross connect between people, planet, and then your economics of your company. But some companies have kind of diluted it to where they're only looking at the environmental and that's what they refer to as sustainability is what are we doing around climate change or waste and recycling um, or water or energy? And that's how they look at it. Others refer to it as CSR, where they're just only focused on their community impact and things like volunteerism or philanthropy and community giving. And then there's people who refer to it as ESG because the word sustainability has been so diluted that it refers to the pillars, which are the environmental work, that social work I referred to. And then there's this governance side of it, which is all things around corporate governance, anti-corruption, anti-bribery, ethics and compliance. So all of those things holistically, when you integrate them, that is the true essence of sustainability is when those all those things actually should be working off of each other. When you work in them in silos, you're actually not getting the full benefit out of doing the work or being committed to the work. But when you actually integrate them into how you do your business, you will start to see win-wins that you usually would not see if you looked at them separately. And, you know, me coming from a kind of a people and organizational effectiveness perspective, I would imagine companies that have a strong uh, sustainability approach and program are probably more likely to be employees of choice. Especially for this generation, you're starting to see them ask about sustainability issues. They want to know if you're committed to diversity and inclusion, which is part of sustainability. They want to know what your attraction and retention. They want to know if you're committed to the climate. You know, we're in a climate crisis. So all of these things are starting to become like, you know, deal breakers and table stakes for especially this new generation. It is a strong vehicle for retention and attraction of employees, in my opinion. I get emails all the time from employees that are just interested in our company and employees that just started with our company. So excited that we actually made these commitments when it comes to sustainability because it's so important to them, right? If we don't do what we need to do today, then future generations are going to suffer the consequence. And that's where sustainability shows up. It's actually showing that commitment 
And, and it's not about what it's best for the company. It's what's best for society. If you're doing sustainability right, it's best for the company and best for society. Absolutely. I can definitely see that correlation. And I'm just curious, just because uh, I don't know the breadth of executives that are in this field, unfortunately, which is why, why uh, we're so happy to have you. I know diversity and equity inclusion is a piece or a pillar or a focus of sustainability, but why should sustainability be a particular interest to, say, people of color or the underserved in our communities? Why should they want to know more about this? I love that you asked that question because for me, one of the things that hurts me the most is when you look at climate issues, water issues, food deserts, climate issues, when we're talking about higher temperatures, when you look at who suffers the most, any type of issue when it comes to sustainability, diversity issues, lack of um, access and equitable access to anything, whether it's Wi-Fi, internet, education, it is communities of color. So we're actually the ones who suffer the most from sustainability issues not being addressed. However, we are never at the table. So even if you look at this space, it's extremely whitewashed. It has been forever. And what I have spent some time doing in the past few years, especially um, with the rise of conversations around social equity, is to just kind of move away from having just a singular conversation. It's about intersectionalism. It's about climate justice. It's about environmental justice. It's about making sure that everyone has equal access to all things, clean water, nutritious food, access to energy. And if you also look at, you know, the root of a lot of the historical notions around redlining, right? When you look at the fact that a lot of those neighborhoods of color were put in areas of manufacturing areas, right? That means they don't have clean air. That means they have, they're more susceptible for disease or health issues or high blood pressure or asthma or diabetes. All these things link back to inequities and lack of access or just straight out racism, right? So we have a extreme vested interest to want better for our communities, but I don't think we're aware enough. There's a lack of education and understanding that the people who are affected the most are the people who don't usually have a voice at the table. So it's been very personal for me to want to make sure that these inequities are addressed. You know, I often tell colleagues, especially colleagues who are not of color, Black people and brown people don't want to be saved. We don't need white saviors. No, no, we no. Need justice and equity. That's what we need. This space at time can feel that way. It can feel like, oh, well, let's go just save. It's like, no, no, no. Make sure you understand the root of the issue. Let's start there and then make the change happen. But I can imagine that corporations can't do it all by themselves. They've got to partner with community organizations or politicians and, and leaders, those that have a hand in all of these areas in the community that are the ones that are empowered to help make change. Am I wrong or? Oh, no, you're right. There has to be connected tissue, right? I can't have societal impact without actually going into my communities to make sure I'm impacting them in a way that's authentic and intentional to them, right? I can come up with a whole bunch of things sitting behind my four walls. But if it doesn't actually resonate with the people who I'm trying to impact, then it's going to be a false start, right? So 
you absolutely have to have a foot within your community. You have to make sure you're showing up in a very authentic way. You also want to partner with some strong nonprofits that can help you use your voice in a way that means something to you. So I always love signature partnerships with nonprofits who are committed to the same causes that you are as people who can be boots on the ground that can help you to amplify the voice that you're trying to be heard. And it's not about being on the front lines, meaning having your face be the one that says, oh, it's because Genesis wants to do this. It's actually because we're committed to this cause, right? So I think that companies, you'll find them if they're really committed, they will probably have a signature partnership with a nonprofit that they've committed some great time and attention to that's helping them to further move the needle in an area that they know they can't do by themselves. None of this work we can do by ourselves. One thing I love about sustainability, it's usually the area that's non-competitive. I can usually go to a competitor in my industry and say, let's do this together because it's in our best interest and it's in the best interest of society. And how rare is that, that you can go to you right. know, others uh, in the industry or like you said, even competitors and still find a way to have some synergies, you know? Absolutely. Bridget, one of the premises of our podcast and we would try to provide our listeners is like opening up the playbooks a little bit um, to help them understand a lot of the good things, but also some of the challenges in, you know, you're being a leader in your particular field. So I was just curious, are there any challenges with, in general, with convincing the C-suite to do some of the major initiatives that sustainability executives such as yourself propose for companies? I know Genesis is very open and it's progressive in its fashion, but I can imagine there are many companies that just don't embrace it quite as much as your company does. Yeah, I'm in a very blessed situation where I have a CEO who's fully committed to sustainability and a chief strategy officer who's fully committed. So our C-suite has completely been so supportive of, of me coming in as our first ever chief sustainability officer and making a strategy that we are really pushing to. But I have been in plenty of situations where that is not the case and plenty of my colleagues it can feel like an unnecessary fight at times, right? Because there are these myths around sustainability, this myth that it only adds more to the bottom line and it's just going to cost more. You're just asking me to just put dollars and I'm not getting a return. But you know what I always push back on, that return on that investment might not be quantifiable, but I promise you it will be qualifiable, right? It is going to be like around protecting your brand image or just doing what we are supposed to do. There could be regulatory requirements that we need to meet and that might be an investment. But there's also things that we just want to do because we want to differentiate ourselves or just commit to something. So I do think at times you have to, as leaders in this space, you have to do what's necessary. Make sure that you're you know, following all regulations and laws and requirements so that your compliance in place. You have to do what's necessary around you know, you want to be as efficient as possible. I always tell people sustainability is actually one of the best ways you can be operationally efficient and reduce your risk. If so, you know, if you want to talk to a CFO or a COO, start with those two things and say, you'll be more efficient and save money if you're, if you commit to sustainability. That's what we're getting your, their way. You want to go to a legal team. Not only am I reducing risk, but I'm improving our brand and I'm keeping us in compliance or to marketing. This improves our brand image. We can, we don't need to market this. It markets itself if we're truly committed to it. I'd like to think of sustainability as if you're doing it right, you should be able to tell one event 
10 different ways, right? I've done one thing, but this is what it means to each of you. And so I always tell our teams here, it's a team sport. It doesn't happen to you. It happens because of you. And because of you, these things are happening. So I think at times it can feel so painful when you're in this space trying to do this work because you're competing with all the different priorities that every single leader has. And you're saying, oh, well, I know it's important that you drive revenue, but I'm also asking you to do this. And I know it's important for you to drive sales, but I'm also asking you to do this. Or they might see, why do I need to be focused on that? <laughs> right. So you have to kind of build these business cases and you have to try to put these nuggets in and show the proof so much better when your leadership says, we're doing it because that's just what we should be doing. As I've been telling our leaders, it's the power of the and. It shouldn't be or. I got to do this or do that. I'm like, well, what about and? And. Why can't you incorporate that into your strategies that you're doing anyway? You're going through that planning rhythm anyway, right? Absolutely. Are there a lot of sustainability executives in the world? I don't know the scope. Does every major corporation have a U or, or is it just a, a field that's now growing now that people are a little bit more conscious, socially conscious in the world? It's a little bit behind the trend of what you're seeing happening with chief diversity officers, right? People kind of maybe had a director or they kind of had somebody leading it, but then it wasn't like a CDO. And now you see all these CDOs and chief sustainability officers happen the same thing. The last survey I saw, it's grown significantly over the past three to five years. Um, 10 years ago, there were, I mean, there were very few. I think most major companies, especially publicly traded or Fortune 500, have um, a chief sustainability officer or something such as that, like the head of ESG or the head of social impact, like the, whatever name they're calling it. It does not meet the need that other CROs have. Is it usually, I don't find that it reports directly to the CEO as you find those other roles that are just as impactful. Maybe because it doesn't have a PL, but I could argue so does HR doesn't have one. That's right. When I see the structure of the role, it doesn't report to the CEO. I absolutely believe it should, it should support some waiter in the C suite, right? There shouldn't be a whole bunch of layers in between because then it becomes diluted and the ability to really be impactful becomes more hard. How have you thought about your career? Have you, how have you di differentiated yourself as a, a leader in this industry? Well, I can tell you one big difference is I'm a black woman. So uh, there ain't oh, there's not a lot of uh, black <laughs> women. <in it. laughs> we, we have some amazing, the ones who are there, there's some amazing, some amazing women. I can imagine. Um, <laughs> that uh, I admire that are in this space. But I think what the differentiation honestly is, are the background and then just being a minority. This is a very, you know, non-diverse space, unfortunately, because people just don't know what it means. It is one of those spaces you constantly have to explain, like, this is what we do and this is why we do it and this is why it exists. The space where you kind of know what's next. And so for me, I think I'm trying to have way more conversations around what the significance of the CSO role can be or should be to organizations. But there is, I mean, I'll, I'll never get away from the minority lens on it. It's a specific lens that others would not have or wouldn't understand to the degree I would just because it's a very personal lived experience and you want to see that difference. So I think what I bring different to it is that personal lens of saying, 
I live and breathe this. This affects my family, my community, people that I love and care about. And you want to see that change in a very intentional way, not in a way that's just kind of inauthentic and, you know, not, not sincere. You know, and even just reading up on sustainability, since I've, you know, known the work that you've done and, and your colleagues have done, it's just excited me as an individual, even though I have, you know, very little in leading it. It's a fascinating field. Um, we didn't have any, and I don't know if there are degrees where you're in school and can get a degree in, in corporate sustainability, but um, what advice do you have for anyone looking to transition into this field or industry or, or some of the younger generations, next generation leaders out there that have a passion for this? I mean, how would you advise them to um, move or transition into the field? There are some schools who have specific programs around like the yeah, school or environmental science or environmental engineering. That wasn't my background. I'm an engineer, but I didn't study environmental engineering. And that wasn't something that was even offered when I got mine back then. Uh, but nonetheless, now there are programs. There are schools who have these sustainability institutes and there are universities that have fantastic programs. I do think they're missing some core things that we need in corporate sustainability. They focus very much on the environmental science. I don't know if they're actually teaching it from that holistic kind of that ESG approach more on the E side, which is still significant. Don't get me wrong climate crisis. And I think these programs are fantastic. The advice I would give and even like the intern that, that I have is dig deep within your program, ask those questions, like you know, use that internship experience to say, here's what's actually happening on the corporate side. We need a class in this, or we need a class in that. This isn't being offered, but it's expected once you actually graduate. School is still theoretical, right? And then you get into the real world and you actually need to apply something. And so I would tell anyone that's studying this, if they actually do want to go deep into sustainability, look for universities who do have these programs in either environmental engineering or environmental science, or you might actually want to do something that's very specific into like animal science or food science, like explore those things. And then look into programs. There are minority programs like Manners that has great programs devoted to minority students studying any type of environmental or animal or food science. There's programs like Nesby, where you can go in and even in, they have the environmental engineering tracks there, or even programs like, you know, the MBA, Black MBA, Hispanic MBA, Nishimba, all of them are starting to recognize this kind of lens. So there might be a vertical around diversity. There might be a vertical around um, corporate governance. So just expand your, your, your learning capability and capacity to look in those not, you know, those abnormal lanes of growth. And there's a lot of resources and we'll put some of the links to some of those suggested things in our show notes. So thank you for sharing those. So I wouldn't be a leadership podcast without talking a little bit more about <laughs> uh, your journey as a leader over the years. And I was just curious, what is one thing that has occurred during your career, positive or negative, that you didn't expect? I feel like especially for some executives and maybe executives of color, we all at times, at least when I talk to my friends and colleagues, there, there comes this moment when you have this kind of this, you have to make a decision if you're going to, to follow your path that aligns with your values. And for me, it was a decision where I could either sit still and do what I was doing, even though I knew it didn't align with my, my personal values, or I could pivot. 
and do what what's going to keep my soul at peace. It takes an amount of courage and it also takes a, an amount of being willing to a resolve of what the consequences of that decision. And that's never easy because it's there's no guarantees in that. You're betting on yourself and just saying, I, I'm going to have to do this regardless, especially when you're so used to taking care of everyone around you. But I, I think for me, having to to put my my soul at peace, I had to ensure that my personal and professional values were all aligned and making decisions for my career based off that was hard but necessary. Moment, before the moment, I think there was fear. After the moment, there was so much relief because who wants to sit in a car and cry before going to work, right? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, we're going outside. Yes. Because you knew that everything about that experience looked good from the outside. You get to travel the world. You're paid well. Um, You have all these moments, but then you realize this is not a healthy situation. And I think at times we, we sit in that unhealthiness because out out of necessity, but you can't, you'll never, you'll never actually get to what you're supposed to get, what your, what those blessings are if you sit in, in that space, right? You have to be willing to move. It's never easy, but it's necessary. You're so right. And um, the story that you just described, um, you know, as you know, I wrote a book about some of the um, the successful leadership tactics of some of the world's most successful leaders. And that is a perfect example of courageous agility, you know, which is doing the right thing that aligns with your beliefs and values, you know, even if the future or where it's what the next steps are unclear. And to your point, sometimes you're going to have to take a stand in order to be at peace with what you're doing when you know internally and in your heart that it's right. It's the right thing to do, right? When you're trying to take care of people. And it's, I think, you know, out of all of your seven principles, there none, I'm not saying that they're all easy by any means, right? These are all steps you have to take, right? Whether it's, yeah, you know, no matter what. building that intellectual horsepower, the executive presence, you know, you know, that's something I've, I have been intentional about is that shadow of leadership, making sure that people can talk about you when you leave in a way that's just as positive and that they can advocate and sponsor for you and understanding all the stakeholders. You can read the room well. These are all things I think you build the capacity and capability for through your career if you're paying attention, if you're being honest with yourself, and if you're being open. But that courageous one, man, I tell you, <laughs> it has created some, some tears, some angst. And some high blood pressure. Oh no, we can't have the high blood pressure. <laughs> but I have no regret. And I taking the big one now. Any any other consequence or courageous discussion I need to have, I'm more resolved with it because I'm so willing to sit in the consequence. And that's a big shift in mindset too to come to being comfortable in that space. Not everyone can be. Which is a great segue to my next question. You know, being a leader is tough. I mean, people love the title or, or the, the the level, but it's very tough to be a high performing leader, especially in today's world. I always joke that our leaders today almost have to be athletes, you know, to take care of their mind, body and soul, to have the energy and the brain power and, and the to be able to sustain that high level of performance at all time. 
I'm just curious, how as a leader, do you take care of yourself? How do you make sure that, you know, that you're able to function on all cylinders when you need to? I said a lot of wine. I was like, oh. <laughs> Um, you know, I have a class of wine myself, so. <laughs> no, actually, what is, for the past year, my husband and I have made, like, a recommitment to fitness, and it has been a game changer. So I've been so focused. I mean, the pandemic, the blessing in it for us was, you know, the fact that we just had no excuse not to recommit to fitness. And so working out. Um, and, you know, almost every day. And then if on the days I don't work out to do yoga and meditate, it has been freeing. It's put both of us in a different space, right? You just make that. But we've also, um, especially in a pandemic, is making time for each other. It's easy to kind of get into these because we're now both working from home. I'm upstairs, he's downstairs. And we truly make sure we eat dinner together. And I want to go walk, you know, take my dog for a walk so that, you know, I can just get some air. And there's things I'm trying to be way more intentional about. I took for granted prior to the pandemic because, you know, life was moving so fast. But I think it helps me to show up better for my team because I have outlets of release. Oh, I love that you shared that. And um, similar to you, I've done the same thing because I was, as you know, on the road all the time, traveling across the globe. And with the pandemic, it was forced to spend more quality time in more thoughtful ways, both with myself and with my family and friends. So you're absolutely right. That's one of the, I'd say, the positives that came out of the pandemic, uh, definitely. All right. Well, we have just a few more minutes. And so um, I want to close by asking you a few fun questions. We call this round full disclosure. But they're fun questions to help our listeners know just a little bit more about you. So my first question for you is, do you have a favorite sport or sports team? Huh. Well, you know, I'm a, a Georgia peach at the core. <laughs> so I still ride for my Falcons. Yay. yay. <laughs> I grew up being a football girl because my brother played football. I love sports, but I now have just kind of had this affinity towards tennis, more probably because of Serena and Naomi and, and Sloan. But I just, you know, I just love watching it. So I'll probably say that the new sport is tennis, but I am still a Falcons fan. Gotcha. Wonderful. <laughs> what is a movie or book that you would recommend and why? Uh, depends on to who. <laughs> I can imagine, right? <laughs> You know, one of my favorite books is Coldest Winter Ever. And I wouldn't recommend it to that someone that's not an adult, but there's that book. I mean, I remember reading it and I was like, I can't wait to see this as a movie. Like I could just imagine it kind of coming to, to screen. One of the books that uh, we've read recently as a couple just be, was Atomic Habits. It was something we really both enjoyed of just kind of looking at, you know, some of the habits we had and how we can be more productive and and be more mindful and intentional. I, I remember having a professor in grad school who was like, you know, multitasking is inefficient. And I was like, you a lot. And I so, but also he also taught mindfulness and he taught meditation. So I was like, oh, you know, multitasking is everything. But then. Yes. As you start realizing, like, I'm really inefficient when I'm not focused. 
<laughs> oh, that's funny. That's precious. <laughs> what is one thing about you that sometimes people misunderstand about you? Oh, where do I start? So I remember, I always tell people this. I had a boss tell me at the beginning of my career, he, she said to me, she said, you have three things working against you. She said, you're, you're black, you're beautiful, and you have brains. And she's like, don't become a bitch about it. And don't let it be your burden. Like I always say the five Bs. I think for the first part of my career, it was a burden because, you know, I felt like I had to kind of make sure people felt like I was a softer version of me all times. Like, because no matter how I showed up and said nothing, I was intimidating. And you would you know, I, I suffered from what a lot of Black women suffer from sitting for your feedback, thinking you've done it. And they're like, you're so amazing, but people just have a hard time. I'm like, I can't change who I am. And it it wasn't until later in my career that I was just fine with saying, either you accept me as I am, or, you know, like, am I intimidated or are you intimidated? Right, 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 right. What's, that's that's a big difference. And so I'm now willing to ask and push back on those questions when they're like, oh, so people just feel like you're, I'm like, if you know me, you know, I'm like the easiest person to talk to. And I'm damn near hilarious. So I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> uh, but you, you know, you people, I think at times being a tall, dark skinned black woman, natural hair, I'm supposed to be this head twisting, finger snapping, ready to go off. And when I speak, it's, oh, don't be angry. And it's just like, I am not angry. Black woman, black woman. Huh? I am not emotional. And I think it will take still a minute for us to be seen for who we are, right? Brilliant, successful, impactful, caring, dependent, like that, that's who we are. I dare to even say strong because it gets misused, right? We, we can't even be strong because it doesn't allow us to be vulnerable. That misconception, unfortunately, like so many, I've had to fight. Well, let's end with one last uh, question on a positive note. And what is one piece of advice that you would love, or a statement or, or encouragement that you would love to leave with our listeners? Our family quote, my brother and I, is adversity introduces man into himself. And it's a derivative of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. of his cool. But what I love always about it is it's just, you know, it will test you, but it will break you. And I always like to say that this is just my test to be my testimony, but I won't be broken by it. So I just try to focus on, if you can, what's on the other side of that moment, if you can. But if you can't, I always now, especially with my team, I'm like, use your words. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't say something. That's right. That's and right. Internalizing it only it's going to harm you in the long run. Find some place or some space to let it out. Love that. Love, love, love that. Well, on that note, I just want to say thank you so much for joining the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. I know I've got a ton of nuggets out of this and I know the listeners will as well. Thank you once again, and uh, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Bridget McAdoo, corporate sustainability expert and VP and global sustainability officer at the Genesis Corporation. 
Links to her bio, her entry into our leadership playbook, and additional resources on corporate sustainability can be found in the show notes, both on your favorite podcast platform of choice and at leadyourgamepodcast.com. Now for my segment called Karen's Take, where I share tips on how to use some of today's insights to sharpen your leadership acumen. You know, I bet if I asked 100 employees, what was their employer's top three corporate sustainability goals? 90 of those 100 probably couldn't do it. So my first piece of advice to everyone is to see if your employer has a sustainability plan and take the time to read it. This one act alone will differentiate you from 99% of your peers. And if you're wondering where to find the document, the document is likely on your company's website or is housed somewhere on your company's intranet. So next, once you read your company's sustainability plan, take the time to brainstorm a couple of recommendations that you would love to see added to the plan yourself and then seek to share them with both your direct manager and your skip level boss or manager. This will require you to lead both with courageous agility and stakeholder savvy as you muster that courage to stand up for what you believe and communicate it in an effective way to your work colleagues. Remember that whether your managers accept your suggestion is not the real win. The real win is the increased visibility and deepened relationships with key stakeholders and your work environment. You know, those who have that power and influence to help you grow your career business, that they sit up and take note. And you never know what opportunities may come out of the experience. Good luck to you. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at leadyourgamepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now.